Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Hi, welcome back to In the Landscape with Kate and Charles Sadler. I'm here in studio with Charles. How's it going, Charles? Good. Good to be here. (laughs) Excited to talk about another landscape topic. And we're going to diverge a little bit from the pattern we've set so far. So we've covered a couple of planting tip episodes and ne- and then a design episode. And now we're going to talk a little bit about one of your other certifications. So I usually introduce you as our resident landscape design expert. And today I'm going to introduce you as our resident tree expert because you happen to be an ISA certified arborist. What does that stand for? That's the ISA's International Society of Arboriculture. Big word. <laughs> What's nice about that? is different states, different countries may have other types of, like if you're in Connecticut, there's, you can be certified in Connecticut. But the ISA really does translate to any state in the U.S. and other countries. It's recognized. What does ISA stand for? International Society of Arboriculture, which yeah. is just arboriculture is the care of trees. So why did you decide to get this certification? When did that come about? And you went to design school first, is that right? Right, right. And then you decided to pursue this certification. What did that entail? And why did you choose to go down this path? It became apparent caring for properties, estates, whether it's public or private, that there's often an arborist component, whether it's to remove trees, maybe there's a planting plan required, there might be a planning board, architectural review board, the oversight of an arborist that often came up. And I was keenly aware, like, well, who, who are these who are these trained professionals that, you know, that are that are helping guide the process? So that would be in addition to landscape designers, landscape architects, planners, architects. So someone that really has a keen understanding of all the facets of a tree's health, whether it's planting a new tree or protecting the roots during construction of a mature tree. It became very appealing to, to learn more about trees, and I felt like that was a great avenue to do it. There's lots of systems in place. There's even a test prep class before you sit for your certified arborist test. Is it a class also? Do you take, do you read, do you like study a textbook? And then, right. you, the, and, and is there field work? Do you get out there and actually touch trees? <laughs> for the prep class, I happen to take it at the New York Botanic Garden and it's offered, I've looked it up, it's offered you know, throughout the U.S. and there's lots of, if, if you're in another country, it would be offered, it's likely to be offered there. So it was just classroom work and the instructors were, had varied background also, from a consulting arborist to someone that was in charge of the woody plant collection at the Botanic Garden. So I picture somebody with ropes and getting into the tree hard hat. Is that what you do? Good question. There are quite a few different types of arborists. There's a climbing arborist that would be someone that would safely, with rope systems and a harness, would climb the trees at, if needed. So a climbing arborist would be someone that is actually performing the pruning themselves and would have the ability to climb a tree safely. Then there'd be a sales arborist. So that's someone that has all the technical understanding, but is, is supervising, is, is not doing the pruning themselves usually. Then there's consulting arborists, and they could work. A company could hire them, a homeowner could, a municipality could. And so that person would have, again, all the technical training, and the product they would produce would be a report often or guidance. And they could be 
in a court case. Maybe someone was injured by a tree or someone's trees were, were wrongly cut down. I seem to recall doing some tree valuation, which involves a little bit of math and then also tree knowledge. And there's a, there's a formula for that. So there is quite a range of tasks that might be tree related out there that you could do if you chose to become a certified arborist. Is there a difference in level of certification? Is there like intro certification, mid-level senior? How does it work? Oh, right. Good question. Becoming a certified arborist, to be honest, is not that difficult. You required taking the study class. And so it was not that difficult. If you read the textbook, took the class, there are some critics of that certification that it doesn't mean it's it's not that difficult. But the benefits is that it's a level playing field. If you have, if you're an ISA certified arborist, everybody is at the same level. And then so beyond that, there are within ISA, there are different qualifications. So you could be a, someone that prunes trees for a municipality. So the trees don't interfere with the wires. There's a, a qualification for that. There's a qualification for tree risk assessment. And so that's taking additional classes and then passing a test. Those are some of the qualifications that come to mind. Then there's a board-certified master arborist. And so that involves extensive knowledge and, and years in the field. There are quite a few parts. There's like the plant health care component. And so that would be after, after many, like at least five years of practicing. And it's often more than 10 years, it would seem. And so that's like the pinnacle of the certification process is that board certified master arborist. Right, so folks are looking around and they see that they know. Right. And then there's also the, they're becoming a, a consulting arborist and there's an organization uh, which administers that also. And so I can't think of the, of the initials right at the top of my head, but that's, there's, there's a similar correlation in that to a board certified master arborist. So for those listeners out there who are aspiring or practicing landscape designers themselves, was there a value in terms of your business to becoming a certified arborist? There was, you know, for in the short, in, in the immediate short term, we're able to offer more services. Like for in, in some of, in, in the Northeast, we work in Westchester County, amongst other counties, in, uh, Fairfield County in Connecticut, in Bergen County in New Jersey. For most of those counties to remove trees, you have to have a, a letter by a certified arborist. If it's a healthy tree and the homeowner, for instance, wants to enlarge their house or change the driveway and you want to remove a healthy tree, you have to have a letter. And so by being a certified arborist and a landscape designer, that's just another service that you can offer. What about continuing education? So once you've had your certification, does the road end there or is there more that you have to do to stay a certified arborist? So folks looking for an arborist, when they see the certification, will they be hiring somebody who's up to date on best practices? There is continuing education to maintain your certification. And as I, if I remember correctly, it's every three years, you need to have enough credit. So when you pass the test initially, then you're certified for three years. And then before that three years is up, you need to obtain additional credits. And it's off the top of my head, it's roughly, I think, 30 credits or 36 credits. So it's about 10 or 12 credits per year. So um, what do those credits look like? Uh, how do you get them? They're easy to get. You can do it online through ISA. 
by reading an article and then answering questions about the article. Some of those are, I think, about like one or two credits. The cooperative extension. So in New York, there's Cornell or other parts of the country. You'd have Purdue, Clemson. There's many, many of those. University of Connecticut, Rutgers. Those organizations very frequently offer classes that would that would qualify for continuing education. The American Society of Landscape Architects, they have events because there's many, it's become more and more popular for landscape architects, landscape designers to become certified arborists. So ASLA often sponsors events that would also qualify for ISA credits. And so that could be about street trees, urban soil, and there are many topics. And so like within the continuing ed, you can, I find that you can, you can locate classes that interest you. And within your schedule, there's sometimes where I'll go to, like I just went to that seminar at Swarthmore near Philadelphia. So there's times where, where you spend a whole day and it counts for, let's say, six or eight credits, which is, is, is a good part of the credits for the whole year. What are some other favorite conferences that you've been to? So what was the one you went to, to in Philadelphia? What was that uh, called? That was a... Uh, it was a woody plant conference, so it was everything about trees and shrubs, people that love that, that type of thing. Now, do you have to be a certified arborist trying to collect the continuing education credits in order to attend these events? Or can really anybody sign up to some of these conferences that are taking place? Because I know that one was sponsored by Longwood Gardens and the Philadelphia Horticultural Society. Mm-hmm. So those sound like neat organizations to follow anyway. And I think we asked this question about visiting nurseries that are kind of producing these plants. Is this the kind of thing that an enthusiast could just go be a part of if they were interested? To a great extent, yes, anybody could sign up. The event, which was sponsored by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and and Longwood Gardens, at the end of the day, there's a sign-up sheet. So if you're a certified arborist, you need to sign in your name and and your number. And there were only about a dozen people that were doing that. And the attendees, I would say, was probably more than 400 people. There are other sheets for landscape design, certification, landscape architect. So those sheets had different numbers of people on them, but I was surprised that there weren't more. So at that particular event, many of the people were enthusiasts. There were people that worked for the parks department, for other colleges, other, other universities. Sounds like it's a nice way to meet and interact with people in the field, and, and you don't need any special certification necessarily to participate, which is exciting. If you're going to hire an arborist, what are some things to ask or to note about their practice so that you know they're kind of doing healthy work for trees? Because I imagine, as with any field, best practices change with time, research improves kind of how we do things in our professions. So I think it's fair to try to get the most updated information. What do you ask? And if you're not sure, you don't remember from this, this one podcast, are there places you can look up what, what should be best practice for tree care at this stage? Okay, sure. Well, there's, there's the ISA website and then their, their public relations arm is called Trees Are Good, which I think is probably treesaregood.org. So but we'll link to everything in the show notes. So we, right, we can give you the exact address. <laughs> the fun of doing a, a podcast is even with your, your notes. Every once in a while, you might make a misstatement. And rather than go back and edit it over in a cheesy way, we'll just be sure that we link directly to the things that, that are important in our, in our show notes. So be sure to take a look at those. So trees are good. You go to that website and you enter, like initially it says, what country are you in? 
And then I did a little research before this. So if you said United States, it would say, what state are you in? And so in New York, there's about 500 certified arborists that are listed. In other states, you know, with populations a little smaller, there's a little less. California, I think, has over a thousand, which would be the most populated U.S. state. You're in England, Australia, South Africa, other, you know, other places in the world. Sometimes it'll like for for Canada, for instance, it says you're in Canada, and then what uh, what province are you in? In England, I don't think it said that. It just said what country, and then it listed everybody in England. So that's a great way to find people. You can also check out someone's credential. So someone might say, I am a certified arborist, and you can look them up and just make sure that that they're current, that they're, you know, that that is a current credential. By joining ISA, there are some practices that are bad practices, like people, like doctors used to do bloodletting. <laughs> That's, of course, like laughable now. So like the medical profession, the legal profession, there are professions that are very regulated. And so the arborist profession is not that regulated. So there's still people that are pruning trees that are, you don't have to be certified necessarily. Some towns you would have to be to do work, others you wouldn't. So the practice of topping a tree is an old-fashioned practice that's actually causes a problem when one doesn't exist. <laughs> and so by joining ISA, some of these old-fashioned practices or, or putting tar on, on a tree wound when you're going to prune a tree, that's no longer beneficial. It was never beneficial. So or, or filling a, used to be when there'd be a, a hollow on a tree, people would put concrete in it. And so you still see that occasionally. So topping a tree, how that is bad is that the tree is sending the nutrients to the top of the tree. When a tree breaks, if there's a particularly violent storm, if you notice, it usually breaks where the tree ceases to be flexible, which is usually maybe a third of the way up from the ground or so. So the very top of the tree is more or less the safest part of the tree. It has the most flexibility and there's the least weight. And so by topping the tree, it causes the tree to put out new shoots from that spot, a lot of new shoots, which I hadn't done before. It wasn't, it's not, a, it's not structurally sound. And it's a place for insects and disease and decay to get in. So we are always open to discussing the subjects that we bring up on the podcast. So if you have a comment, go ahead and email us at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We have now a Twitter feed that will support this podcast directly. So that is at in underscore landscape. So you can follow us in the conversation on Twitter. And then we have our Instagram, King Garden Inc. on Instagram. And just to say that if there's a practice that you're curious about, or if there is a bit of information you have that you think we haven't mentioned, or that may even disagree with something we've said on the show, shoot us an email, connect with us on one of the other platforms, because we'd love to, to have a debate to you know bring up more topics on the show. We just want to put that out there. So you mentioned something like tree risk assessment, or this understanding where a tree is going to break as a result of topping it and, and how its growth is affected. So what's the value to the homeowner, the home gardener, uh, to using an arborist, to bringing in somebody who has this certification and can really give them an educated impression of how the trees are doing? Someone that cuts trees, I might call a tree cutter. So they're not necessarily an arborist, but they're going to perform pruning. So the danger of someone not being a certified arborist 
is that they may follow the homeowner's direction or request, which could be, let's say you're looking out over beautiful bay or you're trying to see the ocean and you want your trees to be cut down at a lower height. So the client request, if it's literally translated, sometimes it can be very dangerous. Or for instance, you want to level your backyard and you're adding soil and you're covering up the tree roots. That's going to kill the trees, you know, eventually over, like over the course of a year or two. So a certified arborist is going to have that training. And so they can take the customer request and listen to it, of course, you know, be very respectful and then turn around and educate the client and say, this is what I hear you're requesting. It's going to cause these problems now. And, but here's an alternative to get to where you want. And of course, there are people out there who are probably doing great work who have like a tradition of tree care who may not be certified. It's not to suggest that it's the only qualification you should look for. But it sounds like because these resources are available to everyone through, through the website and the certification is relatively accessible, that at a minimum, a homeowner could get some information and then be sure that their requests kind of conform to this information. And then those who don't have at the time or the inclination to get the certification itself can still avail themselves of this knowledge. Is that correct? Right, correct. So that's good information available to everyone. It's free. In the process of becoming a certified arborist, it probably varies by state. Like where you're located, some of the costs would be relative to that or what country you're in. I did it a number of years ago. It's probably six years ago or so now. And so it was in the neighborhood of $500 for everything, which was buying the textbook, which I think came with a CD also at that back when people use CDs. So the study guide was about $100. The prep class, I think, was by a little more than $100. You had to make an appointment to sit for the test. There was a fee for that. And then it involved joining the ISA. And then there was, once you were certified, there was a fee. There was like an initial fee. So it's not inexpensive, but it's you know, something which I which I had a budget for. And I said, this is important to me. I'm going to do this next year. And I also want to say too, that they made the literature available like within North America, it's in Spanish too. And that plenty of folks in the tree industry speak Spanish. It might be their primary language. So the, the study guide, the CD, you can take the test in Spanish, I believe. So it's, it's making it available you know, to the widest population possible. That's great. So to go back to the value to homeowners of using an arborist, Tell us a little bit about tree risk assessment. What is that like? How do we know whether a tree should go? Well, that was, I found the process of becoming a certified arborist and then becoming tree risk qualified. Both of those opened my eyes to what I perceived. There was some, some misinformation in my perception on how I was pruning plants, actually, and what I thought was dangerous. So by becoming certified and really understanding the mechanics of trees and how they grow, and then the tree risk assessment qualification, which was about a two-day intensive class where there was some classroom time. Then we were in the field assessing that when I took at, uh, it was an arboretum on Long Island. And the instructors came from all around the country to instruct us. So they were, you know, really, really skilled arborists. So the takeaway by becoming tree risk assessment qualified is more trees are left standing. The perception that a tree is dangerous is often not based on reality. And they've modeled the tree risk assessment off after, I think it's the insurance industry and the legal industry. So instead of saying this tree is 80% likely to fail, they use terms like it's 
and you have to always define the yeah, window of time too. So you're going to, I think the maximum is two, which they suggest is like two years. So you don't want to predict anything beyond two years. And so for instance, if there's a white oak tree that's like leaning in your backyard and a certified arborist came and assessed the tree risk, what normally happens is even if there's defects in it, there's like limbs that are, maybe there's some decay, it's quite rare that there's going to be an, an imminent failure. And that would be if there's a crack that's happening as you're watching it. But most of the time, like there's an old saying, how long does it take a tree to die? A hundred years to live and a hundred years to die. So it's things generally move slowly with trees. The exception would be if there's been a disturbance, if there was trenching done, or if a road was cut near the tree and one side of the roots were cut for irrigation or, or utilities, or if there was a driveway or a road put in next to it. So something, a significant change could have a significant effect on the tree. And then as far as I understand it, not having done the certification myself, but talking with you about it, that a key component is the location of the tree relative to human use, that there has to be a, there's a certain way to assess almost the frequency of use. So if it's this backcountry road that you drive down once to get to your summer cabin, that is a different level of risk than a tree that's directly over a house that you're in every day. Is that correct? Right. Very good point. So there's, you determine like some of the, like the key factors to determine is which direction is the wind coming from? That's going to influence like where the tree is going to fail, the direction it's going to fail. And then is there anything within that target, so to speak? So if there's, if a tree falls in the woods, that old saying, if there's no target, then there's no risk. The tree is just going to fall, it's going to hit the ground. No one's going to be hurt. No valuable property, whether it's a home or a car or like people will be the most valuable, of course. So the risk only really exists if there's people or property. So when a tree falls, you, you calculate the height of the tree. And then at a minimum, it would be, it could fall that same height. So an 80-foot tree, you have like an 80-foot radius around the tree. And if there's decay in the tree, so if there's part of the tree that's dead and it, and it fell, it, that dead part could shatter. And so that could go 50% further. So it'd be like one and a half times the height of the tree. You'd calculate what you were getting at. You determine what the occupancy rate is. So if it's if the tree is in in St. Louis and it's in the most it's in the busiest public park that's busy almost twenty four hours a day with people biking and jogging and et cetera. So that occupancy rate would be very high. You would come up with a number. You'd say out of a twenty four hour period, how often if it was over a house, then that, that house is there one hundred percent of the time. If it's in a park and the park's only open for eight hours a day, then you'd say, you know, for two thirds of the day, it's not occupied. So it really is a tragedy when a tree falls and causes injury or damage in that way. So it is important to have your trees assessed by a certified arborist. And how often should we do that? A great time to do it is when, when you move into a new property, whether it's a residence or it's a business. So to start out, like you'd have someone check the gutters, the roof, you have an engineer, make sure the foundation when you're new in a property. And I mean, once a year would be very thorough. And that might be a property that had a lot of old trees on it or what they call a heritage tree, you know, a tree that might go back hundreds of years. That would be like a person that'd be over a hundred years old. You want to very carefully monitor. And if it's a younger property where the trees 
are 30, 40 years old and there's no giant trees, then maybe every couple of years would be plenty or even every five years just to have somebody come in and assess it and then suggest like like a care of action. Because not every tree needs to be removed, but very often there are limbs that that might pose a danger more than the entire tree, I suppose. Right. Is that fair? And there's structural pruning. That's like, I almost always suggest that. So that's just, if a tree's growing, if it's growing in a forest, there's a lot of competition and it's being, its growth is being suppressed. It's more or less just like a telephone pole <laughs> with some foliage at the top and the, it's surrounded by trees. If a tree's growing in most other settings, whether it's a park, university, residence, a business, there are limbs like the whole height of the tree often. And so there's, so the tree produces excessive limbs. And so removing limbs that are crossing or competing or that are rubbing with another tree. So that type of pruning, that extends the life of the tree. Right. Is there anything else we should consider on this topic of certified arborists in particular to ask? Well, let's see how long someone's been certified. I could say if you, if uh, listeners work for a tree care company or a landscape company or a university or another municipality to become certified is a good chance that your, that your employer might help support you in that effort to pay for some of the costs. I can say like, you know, for our business, we work in various parts of North America and even beyond sometimes. And so we've used that find an arborist as a network has been very helpful. So if we're going to go to British Columbia or Toronto or Texas. Well, you're headed to Chicago next week, right? That's right. Oh, well, actually, you will have come back from Chicago by the time this episode airs. So oh, right. <laughs> that's funny. But uh, yeah, so it would be a good way if you're, if you're landing in that state to get somebody on the ground who knows that region and those plants. And Right. We've done that quite a bit. Like, like working in Texas and various cities, we called up, I remember I called up a tree care company, like a major national one that was in one of those cities. And ask them questions about the climate. When is it likely that this type of species is going to start to grow in the spring? And so that was really very valuable. I feel like it's a trusted network. If people are going above and beyond what's required by becoming a certified arborist or board certified master arborist, that those are they're very trustworthy, honest, ethical people. And they're like enthusiasts too. They love trees and they're happy to share information. We are really excited to have uh, a few episodes now of this podcast underway, and we've got some exciting episodes coming up. Exciting if you're into this sort of thing, (laughs) which we hope our listeners are. We're going to start covering topics of landscape history, and we're looking forward to getting some guests on that we're going to interview from places as far away as uh, South Africa and uh, and other designers around the country. uh, England. England, yep. We welcome feedback and we hope you'll keep listening. And if there's a topic you haven't heard covered yet, uh, hopefully we'll get to it and you're welcome to suggest it. And we hope you'll keep listening as we start to expand the variety and get into all the topics we just love. So we're weekly. We're excited about this. We hope you are too. And you can follow us on Instagram. We're always doing lots of updates there. And it's so nice to see things, to to get the the visual to go with Mm -hmm. some of the, the audio painting that I hope we're doing. So, so any parting words? I think that's go out there and enjoy some trees. Trees are good. (laughs) Trees are good. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye-bye. 